0: happening along with Will Brewer? I am Colby Daniels. It is a UFC pay-per-view week featuring Justin Gaethje. So it's fair to say, at least for me, it doesn't get any better than this. Justin Gaethje headlining a pay-per-view card. Holy cow, Saturday. It's kind of snuck up on me to be honest with you, but here we are with a superstar loaded main event, superstar loaded main card for that matter. Will Brewer, what is happening, my friend?
1: Man, uh, I, I'm I'm stoked for this weekend, man. Uh, we've had these these last few fight nights. They've been kind of mid, as the kids say, uh, and like we we were we've been clowning a little bit on this show about how some of these cards haven't been better than UFC 270. But I feel very confident in saying that some of these last you know UFC fight nights haven't really measured up at all to UFC yeah. 270. But I think you know they did that probably because like the NBA playoffs are starting, the NFL draft. So you know, there's some um, other areas where you know fans' attention is. but I think, like you said, this card kind of crept up on us, but it's here. It's at a perfect time, and I'm ready for it, man. this this card is is loaded. I'm so excited.
0: i will uh, I will be geeked all week, but especially like when we get to Saturday and we are, on fight day, of Charles Oliveira defending the 155 belt against Justin Gaethje, I will be just, I mean, through the roof excited about this card overall, but uh, especially that main card. And look, this is also a card that features Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson, Rose Namahunas and, um, and uh, Carlos Barza. Uh, there are some legends on this card that uh, you know, I, I think from a name standpoint, get a lot of, of UFC fans fired up, so it has a little bit of everything, and to your point, last couple of fight nights, I mean, Good cards, but not great cards. Not a lot of of firepower, I think, up and down the lineup. Um, Good fights, but, I I mean, you know, we've seen some fight nights, and and maybe we've been spoiled a little bit. We've seen some fight night cards this year that, I mean, literally from fight one to, to the end, it's like, how does it get any better than that? Where we're having the conversation about five or six different fights potentially being fight of the night. I mean, that's how good some of these fight night cards have been. And, you know, even from that standpoint, whether you know all the people fighting on the last two cards are not, because there's not been a lot of star power. It's not even been, I think the same kind of standard that we've seen with just, I mean, great fight after great fight after great fight. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that the UFC has been able to put out a consistent product the way they have, but uh, the last two weeks, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit lower overall on the, uh, the entertainment scale, I guess.
1: Yeah. Just to, especially with the, with those cards that we had in, in March, like, we were having fight night after fight night where we were like, man, like, I mean, outside of the main event, like, you you put this on a pay per view, yeah. like, I'm watching it. Yeah. Um, those those cards were great. You know, these like you can tell outside of the main event on these fight night cards that the rest of them they were kind of eh. But I mean, I'm not gonna say that that they overly delivered, but these were some pretty entertaining fights still. Uh, these these last yeah. two cards, and I, I'm ready to uh to get into those as well.
0: Have we have we somewhat reached the end maybe of how how much enjoyment we get out of the Apex cards? Like has that run See, its course? Uh,
1: I, I, for me, no. Only because I feel like I'm a am such a fight fan that I just enjoy the fights. Yeah. But I'm not going to take like put the fans like how much the fans matter. And, like they matter a, a great great deal, and it's a different vibe whenever you're watching yeah. fights and the crowd is in it. Like the like I know this is an MMA, but there was a, box, a women's boxing fight, Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano, and and the crowd completely made uh, that fight even more special than it was. Uh, not than it was, but it made it even extra special. So when you watch, like we talked about uh, when the Apex first started and damn uh, Hooker and Dustin Poirier fought. And just we're like, imagine if that fight was in front of the fans, you know. I still get the enjoyment of watching, you know, the fights and really like keying in on on things, but it hasn't necessarily run its course for me yet. But I can tell like there's a lot of people in the world that are completely over this apex stuff. Yeah,
0: I, you know, going back to that point and and the cards that followed that, I think there was. There was something kind of cool about for the first time watching these cards where it was dead silent and just experiencing it in a different way, right? Hearing the impact of the shot so much better than you could before. And um, it it just felt more intimate. It felt like you had a better gauge and understanding of what was really happening in there uh, because it was so silent and you could literally hear everything. You could hear a pin drop. And now we don't really have that because they're putting people in there, but it's also not like loud either. Like it's kind of like this this weird in between where, I mean, I'm not going to say I hate it, but you know, like it's, it's not what it was in the beginning where it's just dead silent and it kind of has that intimate vibe, but it's also like you have people in there, but they're not like losing their minds when, you know, the thing is getting chaotic either. So it's kind of in a a weird ground where again, I'm not going to miss the cards, but you know, I, I, I almost prefer like either shut the doors and let's just do this intimately or move this thing around and let's, let's get crowds back.
1: Yeah. Now that I am with you. Like the the I don't know how many fans that can fit in there, but the let's say 200, 300 people or whatever the case is, if they fit in there, you know, making all that noise and everything. uh, It's not the same as like a fight night in Columbus, Ohio. Like, you know, I I don't know if that's what they're trying to portray, but uh, the UFC Apex. What it was at the very beginning when it was just silent and you could hear the shots. It was awesome, yeah. And you can hear uh, the comment, the, the fighters. You can can hear the commentary. Like I remember, um, uh, Dustin Poirier uh, heard Michael Bisping say something, and in the middle of a fight, uh, Poirier said to Hooker, "Listen to Bisping," and then the, and then they started laughing and stuff. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that that part I I, I understand. Like it, either. Let's not have a gray area. Let's just either get the fans out of it and let it be all silent or let's put it in front of a a full crowd.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to see Justin Gaethje uh, once again in a main event, in a big fight in front of a packed arena and uh, for Justin Gaethje to do what he does best and that's feed off the crowd, feed on the excitement and uh, deliver in the big moments. So uh, I think Saturday night's going to be pretty special. All right, let's uh, let's review a couple of uh, main events that we've missed over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll start with just the the most recent one, Saturday night. Uh, Cheeto Vera and uh, I, I just completely blanked. Um, Cheeto Vera and Rob Font on Saturday night, <laughs> like literally, I think my brain just stopped working and I flatlined for a moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> the main event in uh in the 135 division which you know has become one of the probably the deepest division in the sport like i have gotten to the point will where almost every night that there is a bantamweight fight like as that fight starts i tweet death taxes and bantamweights like delivering because it, it, it like it never fails every fight card seemingly has a great bantamweight fight uh this was i mean fantastic and for Cheeto vera i mean what a statement that he made on saturday night
1: yeah, man, this was his uh, this was his coming out party, man. I mean, I know he had that uh, fight in MSG with Frankie Edgar, getting that big knockout. But I think I think now he just solidified himself as a uh, contender. Uh, I think now he's ranked in the top five. Like we're looking at Cheeto, and we're uh, we're talking about the big names at the very very top of the division. I mean, his the way that he fought, man. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know. Rafa missed weight, and I had a feeling that he was going to come out and just be uh, aggressive. I didn't think he was going to be as aggressive that, as he was. But I felt like I feel like when fighters miss weight, they like to get off to a good start because they know they might not have the energy in the later rounds. So Rafa came out extremely aggressive. And then just as soon as Cheeto kind of just like got his timing down and uh, kind of just, I guess, collected data in the first round, because he wasn't overly active in the first round, but once Cheeto got going, man, and he just started to let loose – I mean the, the the kicks that he was landing, the spinning stuff, the the sweet chin music. Did you see that he landed a sweet chin yeah. music on on Rob Font? That was that was incredible, man. Just um, he really showed off how great his striking was, how creative his striking is, man. I mean, like I said, definitely a coming out party for Marlon Barrett. And this is a guy who we've seen from from the beginning how he was just a young guy who who took his lumps at first. I remember he was getting beat by. Um, I forget the guy's name, who he fought and he beat uh, in the rematch, but he was getting beat by him, coming back, and now a big winning streak. He, he stopped the hype train and, and Sean O'Malley, even though O'Malley doesn't believe it. I mean, we're we're here now. Cheeto Vera, contender.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We didn't, we didn't record last week, um, so I, I, we didn't have any thoughts on this fight going into it, but what I would have said last week was, if this is a three-round fight, I'm picking Rob Font. The fact that it's a five-round fight, I love Cheeto Vera because what have we seen from him? He's such a slow starter, as you said, collecting data, and he builds as the fight goes on, um... You know, I, I know there were some people that scored the first two rounds for Rob Font. I thought this was a 49 46 Cheeto fight. Like, I, I thought it was really easy to score um, rounds two, three, four, and five for Cheeto Vera. Uh, I absolutely thought Rob Font won round one. Um, you know, this is a case where I guess the output gives you a, a lot of credit for some. Um, and maybe that's why there are some out there that thought Rob Font would have won round two. But if you go by that strategy, then Rob Font wins the fight for some, right? If it's a three rounder.
1: Right, right. Yeah. See, I. I had a 49-46 as well. I mean, the output was 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 crazy. And and in the first round, Cheeto didn't really do much to uh, counter that. In yeah. uh, the second round, I think that was probably a round that Rob Font was winning due to his output, but then Cheeto dropped him. Yeah. And as as much as Rob Font was being aggressive, Cheeto Vera dropping him was the most significant thing that happened in that round. So, And then he dropped him in round three, dropped him in round four. I, I don't think he dropped him in round five, but... um. After that, after that knockdown, it was completely a, a, a Cheeto Vera just like yeah. wipeout for me. I mean, Rafon d- just you know he didn't have it, um, and it, it speaks to how tough Cheeto is because Rob Font was throwing some haymakers in the in the first round, uh, and, and I thought at first I was like, man, you know, Cheeto might not be able to survive this because Rob Font definitely looked like the bigger guy on fight day, um, and he you know the boxing and everything is it's very crisp, but you know. We did, Like you said, we didn't do a show last week. I would have said I like Cheeto's um, striking and the, and the different ways that he can attack, leg kicks, body, head, and all that. I like that more than Rob Font's pretty one-dimensional yeah. boxing base. And I think he w- it would have been better for Rob Font had he been able to mix in some wrestling to give Cheeto some different looks. He might have had more success. But I've, I don't really know Rob Font to be much of a, of a grappler. I've only known him to be... Uh, to be that boxing base, uh, that boxing based guy. So I really liked uh, Cheeto in this one, uh, and then the weight miss just kind of solidified. Take away the weight miss doesn't take away from Cheeto's performance. I mean, he yeah. completely went out there and took it to Font completely rearranged his face. I mean, it was crazy. And then Rob font threw so many strikes, but it didn't even look like Cheeto had any marks on him. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: That's, that's the next point I wanted to make is I I think sometimes we get so caught up in the output and look, the the output from Rob font on Saturday was unbelievably impressive. Like even as he's getting destroyed by Cheeto Vera, like the output never really disappeared. Like it was there the whole time. This is a guy that missed weight, which is maybe even more impressive, but like it, it literally was having no impact on the fight. And like, you know, I think it's really easy sometimes to look at how much somebody is throwing. And even if you want to look at some of the stuff they're landing, like if you're touching the other person, but literally it doesn't have any impact on what they're giving you back or it's not slowing them down, like how significant should that be weighed? Because we were, we were in those second and third and fourth rounds and Rob Font still connecting even Will, but like literally at the end of that fight, Vera didn't even look like he had been in a fight doesn't have any redness or anything. None of those strikes ever seem to slow him down or impact him, How like, his approach to the fight, whereas the other way around, like, clearly Rob Font was feeling when Cheeto-Vera connected. And, like, we just sometimes, I think, so overvalue output, and even if you want to, not just output, but, like, even strikes landed, where, like, it literally, those were meaningless. Those meant almost as much as me, like, tapping you on the shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, Cheeto-Vera... It didn't phase him at all. Like, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't phase him. A lot of those shots, uh, I mean, they didn't land particularly clean. Right. But, I mean, you, they, they did enough to where you can tie that up like, oh, that's a strike for Rob Font. But you can tell not many of them were landing flush outside of the, some of the flurries in the first round. Right. I mean, Rob Font, like you said, he was still, the numbers were still adding up, adding up, adding up, but they were literally having no effect on the fight. And Cheeto was just being efficient, uh, all of all of his shots, man. Uh, I mean, they were connecting. The spinning, uh, th- those kicks, man. Yeah. Um. They, th- those were the most devastating shots of the fight, and and Rob Font did great. I mean, with his with his output, but the most significant strikes of the fight, the most damaging strikes of the fight, were uh, from Cheeto Vera, and it, it was yeah. clear. I mean, <laughs> take a picture of both those guys' face and then look at the stats. Yeah. I mean, you would think like, what the what the hell? Yeah, you think <laughs> like, that's really? not real?
0: I mean, like, Max Holloway does it in a similar fashion. Max Holloway doesn't beat you with power, but it's his output. But the thing is, at the end of five rounds, you look like you've been in a fight, right? Like, he, his output, eventually, oh, yeah. like, you start to wear that. And, I, you know, as Rob Font had all this output, like, literally, it, it, it was almost meaningless because it never changed the way Cheeto approached the fight. It never prevented Cheeto from doing anything he wanted to do. And then there was obviously a significant difference in what was coming back the other way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, the output really impressive. Um, I mean, just to, well, if, if you and I were to stand up right now and somebody put a timer on us just to put that output against air, like we'd be exhausted by the end, (laughs) like that would be a tiring thing. So that is an unbelievably impressive thing for him to do that in a fight where he's also taking shots. But, um, it it just, it was, that was a dominant performance from Cheeto Vera, despite this incredible output by Rob Font. It was such a, a a weird, uh, combination of, of those two things.
1: Yeah, yeah, very, very weird combination. Uh, it w- it was dominant, but if you just look at the numbers, you wouldn't uh, expect you wouldn't expect it to be as dominant as it was. That's why you have to watch these fights right. and and just see them for what they truly are. Because you know sometimes the numbers don't tell the whole story, and that's the case with with this fight, man. I mean, you just. Just look at Cheeto Vera um, uh, after the fight. Not a scratch on his face. Look at Rob Font. It just looked like he, uh, like a train hit him or something. Uh, and and Marlon Vera landed a significantly less uh, rate than, than Rob Font did. So props to Cheeto. He's a contender now. He's in the top five and uh, he's worked his way. This is earned, not given, for sure.
0: Absolutely. I read today that Cheeto, uh, and I didn't see much of the post fight stuff, so you can fill me in. But I read today that Cheeto said he wanted Dominic Cruz. Um, thoughts on what's next for Cheeto?
1: Yeah, you know, he's a guy that said, and this is what you you love about Cheeto Vera. He's a guy that just loves to fight. He loves the sport. He said he'll take anybody. Four, three, two, one. He said Rafant was five. I'll take any of the guys who were uh, ranked ahead. Uh, He did mention Dominic Cruz because this is a fight that he's been trying to get for for a few years now. And Dominic Cruz has always said, like, I want to fight guys ranked ahead of me. Well, now if you look at the rankings, Chido Vera is ranked ahead of Dominic Cruz. So Chio Vera's like, well, I'm ranked ahead of you now, bro. So so what's up? So, but if I'm if I'm Chido Vera, man, I'm I'm aiming for, for one of those guys ranked in four, three, two, one. Like, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Chido Vera against Corey Sanhagen. I, I wouldn't be shocked fight. if we saw Yeah, how how crazy would that fight be? In a main event, and yeah. And then and then like the 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 striking, like we would see some crazy shit if those two locked up. But then Peter Yan, right? This is a guy who who he, he was in a five round fight with with Aljo, but he didn't take much damage. You, you know, it was uh, it was a tough fight, but he didn't take much damage. There's been rumblings that he wants to fight in Abu Dhabi. How great would a uh, Peter Yan and um, Cheeto Vera fight be? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm seeing a lot of very stylistic similarities between Yan and, and Cheeto because of how they like to collect data at first and then kind of just. Uh, really get started uh, later on. I'm really interest, interested to see how that fight would go, but Cheeto Vera definitely deserves one of those top guys because he's worked his way into this conversation, into this discussion, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's Peter Yan or Corey Sanhagen.
0: If it's me, my favorite matchmaking at the top of that division is Aljo versus Aldo, Yan and Dillashaw, and then Sanhagen Cheeto. Yeah,
1: I, I mean. I like that and you really can't go wrong with how you match up and with how you match up these guys but because the division is just that good yeah. but that matchmaking right there is 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 perfect. I mean Aldo has the the winning streak. So I think he does deserve the title shot. TJ's won one fight in how many years? Right. I mean sure he was the he was the champion but this division is so loaded right now that a win like that isn't going to give you the the title shot. See now you got Dillashaw at the top. You got Aldo at the top. You know Jan just lost, so it's it's pretty much out of TJ and and Aldo. Sure, Aldo had a title sh- uh, shot and he lost, but he's won three or four in a row. TJ's only won one, so I like Aldo and uh, Aldo. I like Peter Jan and TJ, and of course I love Sanhagen and Cheeto. That would be crazy.
0: That yeah, that would be an awesome five round fight. And uh, I mean, in terms of like the striking arsenal and where shots can come from. I mean, edge of your seat type stuff, right. Coming both ways. That would be pretty incredible. Um, Rob Font now back-to-back losses, Aldo and Cheeto. Where does Rob font go?
1: Man. So before this fight, um, I was thinking like Rob Font would be matched up with Marab. I think that that ship's probably sailed with this loss. I- I'm hearing rumblings that Cruz and-, and Marab might be signed to fight. So I guess you gotta look uh, down the line a little bit further, and um, man, who is even? My mind is blanking. I mean, I know there's a lot of. I mean, you got Sean O'Malley. I, I'll get, uh, I got the rankings we'll right here. Later.
0: After Rob Font, it's Dominic Cruz, Song Yudong, Pedro Munoz, Frankie Edgar, Ricky Simone, Sean O'Malley, Marlon Morice is actually still here, although uh, he's retired, and then Jack Shore.
1: Oh man, uh, that second name you read, Song Yudong. That's that's a perfect matchup for for yeah. Rob Font. Uh, it's a, it's another striker, uh, and it'll be a, another fun matchup. And this is a guy in Song Yidong who's trying to get to where Rob Fon is, just kind of like what Cheeto just did. Cheeto just took Rob Fon's spot, and now um, Song Yidong will probably be looking to do the same thing. So I think that's a really good matchup to make, Fon and uh, Song Yidong.
0: Um I, I saw some conversation on, on UFC Twitter about Rob Font and how high he climbed in the rankings and then reevaluating the wins. And look, sometimes it's really easy to do this after the fact, especially after time has passed, to look back and see who he beat. Uh, but the point that was being made was his, his two wins that really put him up there were Marlon Rice, which, I mean, yeah. you know, Marlon lost that in the stretch of how many had he lost in a row now. And then Cody Garbrandt, who, you know, no longer even in the division and then went down and lost again. So it was like basically what the post was saying is, is something along the lines of were those wins somewhat inflated simply because of the names, not necessarily because of where those guys were.
1: Yeah. And so, look, um, at the time, those wins were were good because Cody Garbrandt was coming off of um, the, the knockout of uh, a Sun Tau. And uh, Marlon Morris was, I mean, he had lost a few, a couple in a row, but he was still ranked like in the top five at the time. Yeah. So at the time, those wins were were pretty solid, but they didn't, obviously, they didn't, they didn't age well. So, um, and you know, I, I, I kick myself because coming off of a of a Cody Garbrandt win, I picked Rob Font over Jose Aldo, and I, I I always kick myself when I think about this because that tied up our score and I'm like why did I yeah. do that <laughs> like I don't understand yeah. why I would I would do that but I, but at the time Rob Font was looking like a pretty solid contender but I mean as I, I like I said the wins didn't age well because Maurice is out of the is out of the UFC he just retired and now Cody uh, he's pretty much at the end of the at the end of the road himself yeah. so
0: once again I'll say it and I tweeted almost every week death taxes bantam bantamweights delivering uh, all right. Two weeks ago, will the main event was Jessica Andraj and Amanda Limos. Um, so back-to-back cards where our picks have been literally the same across the board. Uh, our picks were the same on this one, but I was like, you know what? I think Andraj is going to win this, <laughs> but at least Limosh has like the chance of maybe delivering a big blow. So I'm going to pull the trigger. Like I want to have a little bit of a rooting interest from our score standpoint, and because uh, I believe now it's it's three cards total that we were the same, other than this one fight, which I ultimately ended up going against what I thought was going to happen. And, uh, I mean, look, I thought Andrade was going to win the fight, but first round, I mean, the thing was over, and I was just like, that's it? We're done? Already? Good Lord! Yeah. Yeah, man, you know,
1: I, I picked Andrade because I, I really liked, I felt like they were pretty similar in style. Uh, they were they're two big, uh, women for the division, and they like to they like to throw down. But I liked uh, that Andrade could uh, mix in some wrestling. Uh, I thought that the that the power was kind of the same, but I, you know no one is going to expect a, a standing arm triangle choke. I mean no, I mean that that shit came out of nowhere. It, you know Lemos was landing some good leg kicks, and it uh, started to look like Lemos kind of had a, a an edge in the striking because her her striking is is a little more diverse uh, compared to Andrade, who likes to head hunt. But I mean, I think once Andrade was like, "Okay, I've taken too many of these kicks. I need to close the distance." And then all of a sudden, she just kind of fell into um, having this standing arm triangle choke. And immediately, as Andrade wrapped her up, you saw the look of, of, of panic on <laughs> Lemos' face. When I saw that, I was like, "Oh my God!" Is like, is she wrapping up a submission? And then like, you you could see, you know, her, her doing little lock with her with her arms and uh, pulling her close with her legs and stuff. Uh, I didn't think that she would get it, but Man, she, I mean, she got it, man. Uh, she, uh, tapped her out. It, it was, it was crazy, man. You, that's, that's history. That's never been done in the UFC before.
0: Well, we're about to see the champion of that that female strawweight division uh, on Saturday night. As far as the rest of the division, we had awesome news that we're getting um, Waylee Joanna too uh, coming up, I believe, this summer. Um, I think we both believe Marina Rodriguez is probably next in line for. The belt. Uh, who does that leave for Andrage at strawweight? Because she's currently, I believe, ranked in both strawweight and flyweight. I, I thought, especially as we just saw Mackenzie Dern get a win, Andrage McKenzie Dern seems like a, a pretty good opportunity.
1: Yeah, you know, at, at first I thought you know this would be a perfect fight for for Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez and and Jessica Andrage, but uh, she has that enough to get that next title shot. Uh, as far as Mackenzie Dern, I like. Uh, the idea of McKinsey Dern fighting uh, Yan uh Xiaonan, yeah. the the from, from China. And I kind of like uh, Jessica Andrade fighting the winner of of Wei Li and Yoana. Okay. Simply because yeah. simply, simply because you know Rose has beaten Joanna twice. Rose has beaten Wei Li twice. Sure, she's only beaten uh Andraz once but they've already fought twice. So right. we're 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 getting in the matchups where that we've seen before. Whereas Rodriguez is a fresh matchup. McKenzie Dern coming up is a fresh matchup. So, But let Andrade and Yoana and and, and, uh, and Whaley kind of figure it out, work their way back up to the title picture, and then go from there. I mean, uh, Andrade just fought Whaley and Ioana both, lost to them both. Yeah. But I do think that in rematches, um, both of those fights would be pretty incredible. So I think Andrade against the winner of, of Whaley and uh, Ioana would be great.
0: I, I could I could absolutely get on board with that. And and to your point about kind of the title picture, um, I'm with you on Whaley and, and Joanna. And then you look at, uh, I, I think Marina Rodriguez is next. Like, I don't need anything else. I think she's next. But then when you start thinking about developing somebody else, the next two are entourage, I think, and Mackenzie Dern because of the 0-2 scenario with the two that we're about to see have an epic rematch. So, I mean, Andraj, if she beats Mackenzie Dern, essentially punches her ticket, and she's split with Rose if Rose is still the, the champion, so it's an easy trilogy fight where they've each won one. And then Mackenzie Dern, who I think is already somewhat of a, a star in the making for the UFC, is able to kind of further, you know, her resume, if you will, with Andraj if she's the one that comes out on top. So it seems like an easy opportunity for them to to elevate one of those two while also um making a, a title hunt picture a little bit clearer
1: that's a that's a dangerous fight for McKenzie, yeah, man. i mean i know she's she's good on the ground but whew, on drives with that power yeah i'd yeah. be a fun fight though it would be really a fun, fun fight uh,
0: uh l- real quick on amanda limo like what what happens for her is she d- did she lose stock in your mind or or how did you kind of feel about her side of that
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think she lost stock. I think this was the UFC trying to see like exactly where she was at. I mean, uh, you brought in someone from the flyaway division who was ranked at the top of the flyaway division. She was literally number one. Bring her down to fight Amanda Lemos, who the UFC, I'm sure that they think they have a star in their hands because she definitely has a lot of uh, star qualities in the way she fights. Um, She she, she loses to Jessica Andrade, who's been a, a title contender in multiple divisions. So I don't think she loses anything, but I do think that um you don't uh rise her as, as quickly as you were wanting uh now she just she had just beat angela hill before this fight i think you just kind of raise her uh into the um into the rankings a little a little bit slowly um i think she was right number 10 i think you know half her fight number eight or number seven you know like uh, i don't know who's like an who's there, but I think. Yeah, Amanda Hibas, even uh, if Mackenzie Dern and Jan, and Jan Shanon does, don't fight, I think that would be a fun fight. So there's still options, and I don't think she was a stock at all because Andrade is a beast.
0: Tisha Torres, that'd be a good one too.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. That'd be a great fight. Yeah, Great fight.
0: Alright, so before we get to the, the pay-per-view card this weekend, um, and you, you might have to help me fill in the blanks a little bit here. The conversation all day long, as far as the UFC is concerned, is some uh, some screenshots of some fight cards. I don't know if this came from um, from Tough or where these these screenshots emerged from. Do you do you have the backstory on where these things came from?
1: So Dana's doing an interview. I don't. I forget okay. what um, what the interview was for or who it was with. Um, but he was doing an interview. And he's, you know, getting all hyped and everything, talking about everything. But he, little does he know behind him is all of the fights that he has booked for the summer. <laughs> and people and people are it's, it's one of those things where everyone like he's talking and everyone's just looking behind him like, oh, oh, oh. And then, you know, the screenshots uh, of the July 2nd, yeah. July 9th, July 16th, July 23rd, July 30th, like all everything that's happening in the summer. Um Basically was on that was on that card, and I don't know if um, these are confirmed. Um, I'm sure Dana will say these aren't. These right. are just in the works. They're not um, signed or booked yet. We haven't even sent out the contract. You know how Dana uh, will kind of downplay this whole thing. But for for th- for that for that list of fights to be in his war room, that's definitely yeah. something that's very significant.
0: The Dallas Cowboys did this a couple years ago, where they were doing interview same thing and behind Jerry Jones was their, their draft board. And everybody's like, oh, so that's who they like. So uh, not the first time it's ever happened. Um, look, I, I, I hope ultimately some of this comes out to be true because that July 2nd card, listen to this. This is, this is an incredible fight card. I don't even know what the prelims would look like, but this is an incredible pay-per-view card. Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier in your main event. Your co-main is Hamzat of Nate Diaz. Before that is Sean Strickland, Alex Pajeda, Lauren Murphy, Misha Tate, and your main card begins with Pedro Munoz and Sean O'Malley. I mean, that is as good a main card, as I think, as you can make in the UFC, Will. That is unbelievable.
1: Yeah, that's that's stacked. You got all of your, uh, your main stars, like Israel Adesanya, defending the title. There's not a bigger star than him. Uh, Sean O'Malley's coming up. Hamza Shemaev as well. Nate Diaz on that card. So. If all this comes into fruition, that July second card definitely the best card of the year, and just the fights that we could see. I mean, Munoz and O'Malley to open the card. How fun of a of a matchup is that? Uh, fight Sean of the night, Strickland right? Against Alex Pereira. <sighs> is it really going to be fight of the night with all these with all these different fights? Like man, yeah. uh, Shamayev and Nate Diaz. I'm sure we're not going to say that's going to be the fight of the night. But I maybe mean, performance the build of the up. Night. And, yeah, maybe performance of the night. Uh, the build up will be fun. And then Adesanya Canineer, I mean, you can say what you want about about the about Kananir and his chances in this fight, but he he has that silencer, the one here to quitter. He's got the power, and we saw it against Derek Brunson. Um, but it's gonna be tough to to get to Izzy. But I mean, just all five of those fights, man, sign me up.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's got a puncher's chance, right? And that's all we need, I think, to be on the edge of our seat. Even though we all know that tactically Israel Adesanya is so much better, you just know it, with him it only takes one and. Like, I, I wouldn't entertain picking him at all. I mean, as he's been in there with, uh, you know, Paulo Costa, who's a, a big hitter. He's been in there with Jan blahovic who's a big hitter. Um, so this isn't the first time that he would be in, in danger that way. But if Cannoneer connect connects, maybe it's it's fight over. And Israel Adesanya is a big-time draw anyway. Same thing for both Hamza Chimaev and Nate Diaz. That's not a fight that I think is going to be a great fight, but I'm showing up to watch Nate Diaz fight every time he's out there. Same thing for Hamza Chimaev. And then Sean Strickland, Alex Baheda, and Pedro Munoz, Sean O'Malley, like, those scream not only fight-of-the-night type of candidates, Will, but those scream like fight-of-the-year type of candidates. Like, those are going to be great fights. There's no way that either one of those two fights is a boring fight.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really intrigued by Strickland and, uh, and Alex Pajeda. I mean, not to say that I'm not intrigued by Pedro and, and Sean O'Malley, but I mean, this is a a huge jump because Pajeda's only fought a few unranked guys. And now Sean Strickland's literally on the cusp of a title shot. So, you know, yeah. what the UFC's trying to do, uh, they're trying to get Pajeda that, that, that one fight that will just, uh, elevate him into title contention without even having to go through all these guys. Um, He's just like Izzy, coming from kickboxing. He's taken the UFC by storm in a way, and this is a guy who beat Izzy in kickboxing twice. So there's not been any real challenges for, for Israel at in the UFC. You bring in a guy who's beat him twice in kickboxing. This is a this is a whole completely different fight, man. Like this is a guy who can who is as long as as Izzy, who who has a similar style as Izzy. How is Israel going to going to fight this fight? If, if that ever happens, I, I, I'm pulling heavily for Alex Pereira because I really want to see Izzy and Alex Pereira fight in the UFC. That's going to be crazy. Yeah.
0: And then um, July 30th, what leaked out is a main event featuring John Jones and Stipe Miocic. Also, there's some to be determined on that card, but it, it would include Derek Lewis and Sergey Pavlovich, which, look, give me all the Derek Lewis undercard fights you can. I, I don't want Derek Lewis in a five round fight. Derek Lewis yeah. in three rounders until the end of time. I'm all in. Uh, and that's what he wants as well. And then um, Magomed Ankalaev and uh, Anthony Lionheart-Smith are, are the other two fights attached to that one. So that that would be a pretty—I mean, that that at least has the foundation of a pretty awesome one also.
1: Absolutely. And and they're saying that this card—that they're trying to get this card, especially if the main event is Jones and Bay, they're trying to get this card uh, at Madison Square Garden— Uh, So just having John Jones at MSG would be crazy. Uh, His whole career, this has been what he's wanted to headline at uh, Madison Square Garden. It would be great. But this is one of those reasons why I say, like, of course, this fight, these fights aren't signed. They're not booked yet because Jones and Stipe, you know, we don't know when they're when they're going to fight. The July 30th date is what I've is what what they want, obviously. But Stipe is saying he won't be ready until September. John Jones is actually saying that he's going to be ready in July and that July 30th would be great for him. But Stipe, I think if they can just get Stipe to just, you know, be ready, be ready by July 30th, this is a fight that, that could happen. But it's all just depending on Stipe at this point. Yeah.
0: By the way, while we're talking about the heavyweights, Tom Aspinall will face Curtis Blades July 23rd in the return to London, correct? Yeah. That that fight card was so badass and Tom Aspinall, I mean, the stock went through the roof. If people hadn't already bought Tom Aspinall's stock, they bought it that night. And now Curtis Blades following up his last performance. I mean, what incredible matchmaking that is. And especially when you consider what that scene is going to be like. Holy hell.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think that you... I was really uh, confident that we were going to see to Tuivasa and Tom Aspinall. I didn't really even consider... Curtis blades what a Curtis blades and Tom Aspinall fight would look like but now that it's signed that is a very very intriguing fight because of how dominant of a wrestler that Curtis blades is plus um he's getting more comfortable on the feet even though I do think that fight with docus it was kind of uh, it, it was a way for him to uh work on his uh, or show his striking because docus is a is a smaller heavyweight I don't think he'd be a I don't think he'd be able to do that with the Tom Aspinall Aspinall is good at everything uh I'm really curious to see how Curtis Blades is going to approach this fight because Aspinall is the guy who can grapple with them. Aspinall's is the guy who can strike with them. I mean this this fight man, and, and on the other on the other side, I'm sure uh, Blades is going to be shooting at Aspinall and he's probably going to get him down. Like how is Aspinall going to fight off his back? Yeah, we don't know. So I mean, there's a lot a lot of questions that are going to be answered with this one.
0: I love that fight. That setting is going to be incredible. Um, I will. I, I can't wait for that one to take place uh, as they go back to London, which, uh, as we talked about, if, uh, I mean, it's been over a month now. But uh, that London card was was spectacular. The fights were awesome. The crowd was awesome. Like there was nothing to complain about from that that last London card. Also in the heavyweight division, uh, Cyril Gone and Tai Tuivasa on September third. Yes, yeah, this is another one, man. See, I
1: thought that they were going to go with Cyril Gaon and uh, and uh, Curtis Blades. But this is this is a pretty interesting fight because Ty's been fighting a lot of strikers and he's been ha- having his way. He's been doing really well. But this is a guy in Surreal Ghan who rarely gets hit, who who's very defensively responsible and who knows how to pick and choose the shots, knows how to get in and get out. So I think the styles um, are very interesting. I saw um, a picture on Twitter of uh, Cyril Ghan and Ty Tuavasa next to... Um, um, Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz, and I was like, "Whew, that, that's a lot." There's a lot of similarities <laughs> between those between those two fights, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that Cyril Gan, um would take it would, takes MMA more serious than Anthony Joshua does boxing. So sure. I don't feel like um, I don't feel like Cyril Gan would underestimate Tatouev. I he knows his power, and uh, this is going to be a very interesting fight, and it's going to be in uh, in France, where Ghan is from. So. Uh, very, very interesting fight. Can't wait to see it. Yeah.
0: I also don't want Ty Twivosa in five-rounders, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So um, let's let's hope if he's going to get it done, he gets done early.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's he's got himself here, man. And yeah. I don't think he's been booked for a 5 round. The last time he was booked for a five-rounder was against Junior Dos Santos, I believe. And it, it was a fight where he learned a lot. So I'm sure he's going to take that experience into this one. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would want to see him in three-rounders. But I think Ty has... Evolved in a way where um, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to see him in a, in a five-round fight. Yeah.
0: All right, man. Let's uh let's talk UFC 274, headlined by Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje for the lightweight belt. Um, we will make selections. Obviously, we have two five-point selections on this card. The rest of the main card is worth three, and uh, we typically have been adding one prelim fight to the main card. Is there one that stands out to you, or you just want to settle on the main card this time?
1: I'm down to settle on just the main okay. card, but, uh, I mean, if there if there was one, it would be Randy Brown and uh, Chaos Williams, but, I mean, eh.
0: Okay, alright, so we will go main card, three points apiece, except for the two championship fights, uh, which will be worth five. Will, we were tied three weeks ago, we went uh, the same picks across the board, so we remain tied, Two weeks ago, we were tied, and for the sake of competition, I switched it up, which was a terrible move on my part, as uh, Jessica Andrade finished Amanda Limosh in very quick fashion, which gave you three points. And then last week, we were the same across the board as well. So your three-point lead holds, which gives you the first pick tonight, or, or on Saturday, as we get ready for, again, UFC 274 uh, from Phoenix, Arizona. Fight number 1 on the main card is Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lauzon at lightweight. Oddshark.com gives Cowboy the favor here, -170 plus 140 for the underdog.
1: Oh man, um, you know Cowboy sometimes is a uh, is a is a weird puzzle because you know you never know what kind of uh, what kind of cowboy we're going to get on the night uh, because he's such a slow starter. But uh, you know, in thinking about this fight, this is one of those fights where we're going to get to see vintage cowboy fighting um, a guy who's uh, on the, on the end of his career as well at lightweight. So cowboy's going to have a size advantage. Um, Have this been a welterweight fight against one of these young guys. I think cowboy's kind of passed those days. I think if he fights at lightweight, and, you know, he's able to get the weight cut under control, you know, have the weight cut and be able to perform. Um, I, I favor Cowboy in fights like these. So uh, like the, those those legends fights. So yeah. I think that um, Cowboy will win this one.
0: Cowboy is the older of the two fighters, but only by two years. It's 39 years old and 37 years old with. uh I mean, maybe the com- the greatest combined experience in UFC history for one fight. I don't know. I'm making that up as we go, but it kind of feels like that considering how many times these guys have been in the octagon. Uh, it is Cowboy Cerrone for me as well when I-, I don't think Joe's been in the octagon since 2019. So um, regardless of maybe what we've seen from Cowboy recently, he at least has been in the octagon recently uh, as opposed to uh, Joe here. So uh, give me Cowboy in fight number one all right fight number two again if you want to throw out the uh the legend term for this card fight number two features shogun hua at light heavyweight versus osp ovint saint prue oddshark.com has uh, osp as a minus 245 favorite plus 195 for shogun
1: you know, I'm really happy that uh, these legends like the Cowboy and Joe Lozon and Shogun are getting the the shine to be on a pay-per-view and to be on the main card. Uh, I mean, when I first started watching UFC, like these guys were staples in pay-per-views and uh, they gave out so many uh, awesome moments. You know, these moments may not come around too, uh, too many more times. So definitely need to appreciate it and enjoy it while it's here. Uh, as far as this fight, this is a fight that's happened before. OSP won the fight um, in 25 seconds, I believe it was. Um, you know, OSP's been been up there fighting with the heavyweights. I really don't see, unless OSP just completely just doesn't show up, I mean, and or maybe Shogun just has just a, a turn back of the clock and just completely uh, uh, shows his younger self and knocks out OSP or something crazy. Uh, I think this is going to be a OSP win. Um, back at light heavyweight after a few uh, fights at, at heavyweight um, I think this is going to be OSP for sure
0: I'm going to go OSP as well although I don't like it I don't like it either way um, I, I don't feel great necessarily about either side of this uh, given what we've seen from these guys recently um, two straight losses for OSP Tanner Bowser, and then um, I think he was the on the L side of Jamal Hill's um, kind of coming out party if you will uh, kind of Jamal Hill's like statement win, um, you know for for Shogun, um, he had the loss to Paul Craig, uh, I think he beat uh, Nagara back in 2020, uh, but that also kind of felt like a fight where you know maybe it was both fighters' last time in the octagon, and I I think that actually was the last time out for Nagara, and uh, and Shogun has since lost to Paul Craig, but. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of a tough one where, I, same for me, I think everything you described is accurate. I, I, I just land on OSP, but um, I, I like the fight, just don't necessarily feel great about either side of this. All right, fight number three on the main card, and this is where things get really <clears throat> spicy, Will. Um, curious to hear your breakdown for this, but uh, back in the lightweight division, Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson. Oddshark.com has Michael Chandler as a minus 400 favorite, plus 300 for Tony Ferguson.
1: Now, now you know that the past, okay. Tony Ferguson is on what, like a four-fight losing streak. Three. At this point, yeah. You know, I've I've been riding with three fight. I've been riding with Tony Ferguson for the long haul. I think I picked him against Benio Dariush yep. and I picked him against Charles Oliveira. I just I think I was on I the opposite side of like, both okay. of those actually. You were. <laughs> yeah. You were. Absolutely. You were on the opposite side of both. And I, I felt pretty confident in both. Like, OK, Tony Ferguson is going to, you know, he just had a, a, a tough fight with Gaethje. He's going to come back from that. You know, I, I picked Tony Ferguson those last two times. But there's been a clear drop off since that Gaethje fight. And not only that, but I think he's fighting guys who are who, who have been able to expose Tony Ferguson in certain areas where we thought that Tony Ferguson was 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 really good. We kind of see that he's not as he's elite, but he's not up to these to these younger guys' levels uh, at this point. His his unorthodox striking and his um, and his uh, cardio it took him to twelve straight wins, but I think at this point you got to have more than just that um, to be elite at this level. And um, Michael Chandler, the Michael Chandler side of things, you know. I think he's had the 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 wars. The war with Gaethje was fun. Um, the war with Olivero was 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 nice. The uh, the the debut with Dan Hooker. I think we're going to see a very uh, uh, strategic Michael Chandler. I think we're going to see a very smart Michael Chandler. Uh, I think he's going to be able to take this fight wherever he wants, um, as long as he doesn't. The way that Tony Ferguson wins is if this becomes a war. If Michael Chandler goes out there and just uh, does what he's good at, wrestles, and just takes Tony where he where he wants him to be, this is going to be a Michael Chandler win for me. So I'm going Michael Chandler. I, I think he's. I, I think that MSG fight with Gaethje was fun and everything, but. Michael Chandler knows he needs to win to stay uh, at the top of the division. So I think Michael Chandler is going to go out there and fight very strategic and get this win.
0: I, I wonder if this becomes a war, if Tony's still at a point where he could survive the power of Michael Chandler. And look, I, you know, I know he took the beating that he took against Justin Gaethje, and he was still standing when the ref called it somehow, some Like That was one of the most shocking fights to me, not only to see Tony Ferguson on the receiving end of that fight, the accuracy and precision of Justin Gaethje, but the fact that Tony just absorbed it all, and he's clearly not been the same guy since, uh, you wonder how much of an impact that fight had on on what we've seen since then with Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush, who in their own right are very talented guys. Maybe we can ask the question if, if Michael Chandler is the same after a Gaethje fight. Uh, I, I just feel like Michael Chandler m- maybe is still at a, a different point in his career. Um, I. I I think the power is going to be a problem. Even if this does become a war, I I think the power could be a big problem for Tony here. And yeah, I think this is just, even though Michael Chandler's lost two in a row, which to your point, I think does probably focus him in in a little bit more and uh, make him more concerned about winning than putting on a show to a degree. Um, I think there is still inherently a showmanship Type of thing that burns within Michael Chandler uh, that maybe he can't avoid because I think he just he loves that part of this. Um, but I, I I have a hard time like finding the path to victory for Tony in any way here. And unfortunately, I hate that because this is a guy that I felt like was robbed so many times of a more than deserved opportunity and to see things the way things have gone since the Gaethje fight, which wasn't even supposed to happen. Right? Um, it it really, sucks. Right. I mean, who doesn't like Tony Ferguson and and just everything that he's he's put out there and. Uh, I think these are just guys that are at different points in their career, unfortunately. Um, So this is Michael Chandler for me.
1: Yeah, it it definitely does suck because like you said, that Gachie fight wasn't even supposed to happen. Tony Ferguson was supposed to fight Habib for the undisputed title. And Tony Ferguson is a guy who had two interim lightweight title reigns and never was able to fight for the undisputed title. So it's, so it's sad to see. And then, you know, the fight with Gachie happens and then, you know, Tony only took that fight to because we're in a pandemic. We're begging for fights. Yeah, he took that fight for the fans, and it basically derailed his entire career. Yeah. So it's sad to see, but but you see the love that Tony Ferguson always gets from the fans, like absolutely. Uh, that that last fight that he had with uh, with Benil, uh, the the crowd was literally on his side. I mean, in the press conference, Tony, Tony, like everyone loves Tony Ferguson. And I'm sure it'll be the, uh, the same. He'll get a lot of love in, in Phoenix. But um, yeah, Michael Chandler at this point, I just think he's, like you said, at a different point in his career. And I think he's still a uh, top five lightweight.
0: Yeah, I, I agreed 100%. And we, I think we talked about this the last time uh, that Tony fought after the Benil Dariush fight. Like what's next for Tony? And look, I'll say this, like he's earned the right to still call for a Michael Chandler and get it if that's the direction he wants to go. And you're probably not talking Tony out of maybe where he is right now but after the the gaichi fight like i like that was such a like i was just shocked at that fight and the damage that he took and obviously it's now three in a row but like we talked after the dariush fight like maybe he just needs to drop down and get a fight or two you know back and get things back on the right track against i'm not saying you have to even leave the the top 15 but we've talked about this for two years now on this podcast like, the the elite guys at 155, I mean, this division has been considered the best for a long time because the elite guys in this division are savage killers. And if you're having a problem maybe reaching that level you were at, you're not going to do it by going from Justin Gaethje to Charles Oliveira to Benil Darius to Michael Chandler, for crying out loud. Like, <laughs> there's not an easy fight, but, I mean, we're talking about guys that are killers but also have a ton of experience— and, you know, maybe maybe getting a guy that doesn't have as much experience but is a high talent level maybe gives him an edge in a fight or something like that. But I, I just thought it, there's no bad fights in the top 15 at 155. So it's not as though you're throwing Tony a bone to have him go down maybe in the rankings to fight somebody. But, um, I mean, giving him Michael Chandler to me is just like, good Lord.
1: I mean, but at, at this point, I, and I, and I completely understand what you're saying, but at this point, when you look down the rankings, we're talking about Rafael Visiev. Yeah. We're talking about um, uh, the Drew Dobers of the world. Uh, um, t- not even t- not Terence McKenna, uh, but I mean he- he's there. But yeah. uh, Sarukian, um, Islam, even like when you go down the rankings, you, you, I mean there's not Gregor Gillespie. We're not talking about you know guys who are uh, who are pretty much like good matchups for Tony Ferguson. Let's be real. Um Dan Hooker and Diego Fajardo both rings. Of- now, Dan Hooker, that would be that, that would be the fight that I would give Tony Ferguson yeah. for sure uh, at this point. Um, but um, there's not many of those matchups out there for Tony, so I think you want to capitalize on on his name value as much as you can because I, I think I think this is something similar that happened to Marlon Mairice. Like Marlon Mairice was was running through the division, getting to, got the title shot. But I think this—the same thing with with bantamweight. This division has has evolved so much, yeah. and these fighters have become so good that at some point, the things that you did well, in in, in Marlin's case, and now in Tony's case, it's not enough for you to to still be at the very top of the division. Like these, like one through fifteen, these guys are good everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I just again, like all those guys you just mentioned are are killers, but. They're not Michael Chandler yet. You know, there's still a level, yeah. I think, where like Benil Dariush and Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje are, as opposed to where Armand Sarukian and Matus Gamrot and Rafael Fazivar. So, like I said, there's not an easy fight in the top 15 of of the lightweight division. But I think there is a gap between what he's facing versus what is below that tier uh and again like Diego Fajeda and Dan Hooker to me either one of those guys in the top 15 makes a ton of sense I I would love to see Tony win this to be honest with you I mean I like Michael Chandler too but I I would love to see Tony win this and and and, you know get the train back on the tracks but I I don't see it man hope I'm wrong
1: yeah I I don't I don't see it I mean and I I wanted to see it like I said I I picked him in the last two fights but it just seems like there's just a gap yeah uh in in Tony's game and and the, the the elite guys but I would love to see him win it, but it just doesn't seem likely, man.
0: All right. Our co-main event, UFC Strawweight Championship between your champion Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza. Uh, these two have actually fought before. Carla Esparza has the victory over Rose, but Rose is the champion. Oddshark.com has Rose as the betting favorite, minus 210 to retain the belt. Although Carla, who has beaten Rose, is the underdog. She is plus 165.
1: Man, you know... Um, this fight happened in 2014, and I remember pretty vividly exactly where I was when I watched it because I, I remember I watched that whole season of The Ultimate Fighter, and it's crazy to me that it's been eight years since that fight happened. And, like, the paths that they went on, like, seeing where they were at that time, like, Carla was the... Uh, Carla had was the Invicta champion, and, like, everyone thought that she was going to win The Ultimate Fighter at the time. Uh, and Rose was, was just this young... Like wild up and comer uh, doing flying triangles and flying arm bars and stuff, but there was really no like strategy to her game really. It was kind of just go out there and, and and see what happens. And that showed in the in the first Carla fight. But it, it's so crazy to see the evolution of Rose from then to now, and to see how good she is on the feet with her with her movement, with her kicks. Like uh, you're, you're looking at two completely different fighters. Yeah. And for Carla. Carla, you know, she was a wrestler, but she got exposed to a great deal when, when she fought Joanna. Joanna basically tore her tore her up and took the title from her. And Carla, and that was literally probably three months after that. So, Carla, from 2015 to, to now, seven years, she's been working to get back to this point. And she took the long route, man. I remember sitting in, I, I went to UFC 228, uh, Woodley versus Till in Dallas. Carla fought Tatiana Suarez on that card. And Tatiana completely wiped the floor with, and I thought Carla is probably a fight or two away from from retiring, and now she's back to this to this title fight, and, it, and it's and it's crazy, man. But um, this is a completely different fight from the first fight. Um, Rose is a is a different breed. Uh, I think Carla may struggle with uh, Rose's length and her movement because uh, Carla is five one um she's gonna have to make it dirty she's gonna have to find a way to get in close and to be able to get her down um I do think uh Rose may face a little adversity because Wei was able to get her down uh Andrade was able to get her down but those are two very strong and muscular women uh as uh Carla is is pretty short but she is a very strong wrestler so I mean I'm gonna pick Rose but I do think that um Carla poses a lot of problems especially with how she fought uh jan Nan. but i mean jan shannon is is someone who's pretty is pretty new to the game kind of how like how rose was at first she's a good striker but she doesn't really have much of a grappling uh much of grappling experience um not to put that that win on carla's record down but i think rose at this point is just at a different level so um i'm gonna go rose to retain
0: uh, it, you mentioned the Tatiana loss. That was back-to-back losses for Carla. Uh, she lost to Claudia Gadelia before that, and then five straight wins now. Verna Janaroba, uh Alexa Grosso, Michelle Waterson, Marina Rodriguez uh, back in uh, July of 2020, and then uh, Jan Schaunan, as you just mentioned. Five in a row, and uh, yeah, I, I think that Rose is just so polished at this point, right? And I, I've heard other people talk about it, but that loss to Andrade, I, I feel like, is kind of like the defining point of her career, right? Like you can say she had won the title, but losing it to Andrage seemed to, I, I don't know, she just seems like she's so much more mature and calculated and polished as a fighter since the loss to Andrage. And she came back and defeated Andrage and then Wei Lee twice. And um, yeah, just kind of seems like a different fighter in the Octagon since that point.
1: Yeah, you know, when when a lot of these fighters win the title for the first time, it seems like they're thrown into a world that they're just not prepared for. And I think that's something that Rose had to deal with. Like she's um she's an introvert, obviously. Yeah. Uh she doesn't really like uh, all this attention, and she won the title from Joanna, the uh, who was the dominant champion at the time at Madison Square Garden in a huge upset. So she's getting all this attention and everything that she just probably wasn't ready for and by the time she fought Andrade uh and not only that but when she fought Joanna in the rematch that's when the whole Conor McGregor bus incident happened you remember when Carl threw the dolly at the bus yeah so like Rose had been through some shit throughout that first title reign so and then she she fights Andrade in Brazil so like I mean that whole title reign I'm sure that wasn't anything that that Rose was prepared for or thought that she thought it would would be. And losing that, I think she had, really had to look herself in the mirror and, like, I really want to be a champion. Like, forget all this, what what comes with it. I want to be the champion. I want to be the best. And then she comes back against Wei Li and she's literally saying, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. Now, you know, she's the champion again, uh, and she's handling it in a, in a much more mature way. It seems like she's definitely more prepared for that championship world uh, instead of how she was in the first one, so. Very much more mature, like you said. Yeah.
0: All right, so Rose Namajunas for both of us to retain the women's strawweight belt, which takes us to the main event, the lightweight championship of the world. Your champion, Charles Dubronx Oliveira, Justin the Highlight Gaethje. This will be fireworks, Will, as uh, I cannot wait for this on Saturday night. Charles Oliveira is your betting favorite at minus 170, plus 140 for Justin Gaethje.
1: Now... I've kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do with this fight since December, since since I watched Oliveira and Poirier. I mean, Charles Oliveira, I picked him to beat Chandler, but I picked against him against Poirier. He kind of fought similarly in both of those fights, where he kind of runs across the cage and gets right in the guy's face. Poirier is a guy who likes to settle in the fights, so I feel like that worked to his favor. Michael Chandler, he's down for a scrap, but I think when he didn't get Oliveira out of there, he kind of blew his wide in the first round, and then Oliveira was able to was able to to knock him out in the second round. I, I'm not sure because you know Oliveira can't can't see his eyesight is horrible, so he he has to get into your face anyway because he can't see.
0: I mean, so they say. Now, so they say. You don't think that's true? They I tell mean, us that, but come I'm on, like... man. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I is this guy Daredevil because... inside the octagon? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. I I mean, I don't Well, I don't know, man. I mean, I,
1: I, every time I've seen him outside of the cage, he's always got <laughs> his glasses on. So, I mean, that, as yeah. someone who can't see himself, I'm with him. <laughs> okay. But I'll say this. If he goes, if he runs across the cage and gets right up in Justin Gaethje's face and fights a similar fight that he did with Poirier and Chandler, I don't see him surviving that. I don't see, because Chandler knocked him down, Poirier knocked him down, and Oliveira was able to survive that. So we we know that he's got some dog in him. But I think this new version of Justin Gaethje, the guy that's um, that's not throwing everything, into his shots so where, to where he's tired after the first round and he ends up getting knocked out, I think those days are over. I think Justin Gaethje now is a guy, like, whenever whenever he's throwing too much into his shots, Trevor Whitman is telling him, like, dude, you're trying to kill him. Like, throw 70 80%. Like, uh, and just this calm, calm voice. And then Gaethje just goes out there and just puts on a clinic against Ferguson, against Chandler. And I think... He's going to have those same, the same opportunity with Oliveira. The only difference is is grappling. But I think Gaethje is a good enough grappler to where he won't be put in those positions. Now, we thought the same thing with Poirier. But I think Poirier kind of gave up on himself after a while. Like, you know, he literally laid there in the second round. And, and then in the third, it was just so easy for Oliveira to get that submission. I think Gaethje's striking. Is going, to be, is going to surprise Oliveira. And I kind of see Gaethje getting a knockout in the first or second round. I see him getting a knockout early. I just don't think that Oliveira is going to be able to survive Gaethje's power. I, and I've thought this since December. Oliveira's great. Um, his, reser- his career resurgence, I mean, after being 10 and eight in the UFC and now winning 10 in a row or whatever the case is, it's great. But I think this is
0: where it catches up to him. I'm stunned. I 100% thought you were taking Charles Oliver. 100%. Like, I zeroed <laughs> out of my I... mind that you were going to go Gaethje here. Any- okay. I'm, I'm, uh, I man, usually, I... like, nail what I think you're going to do, so I'm somewhat speechless. Um, yeah, I think the power thing is is very real. Like, not that Michael Chandler and, and Dustin Poirier don't have power, but I, I don't think it's at the same level as Justin Gaethje. I also think Justin Gaethje's accuracy is on another level yes. from those two guys. And I'm with you. I, I th- If Gaethje lands the same shots that Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier landed, I think the fight's over. Um, I also, like, the question, I, I think the biggest question for me in this fight is, will Charles Oliveira be able to get this fight where he wants it to be? And I, I go back to the, the gaethje Habib fight. Like, Justin Gaethje was very much aware of the danger if, if Khabib got that fight where he wanted it. And when it got there, the fight was over. But Justin Gaethje did a hell of a job getting away from from Charles Oliveira. To your point about Dustin Poirier, like not really doing everything in his power to not let Oliveira get that position. Like there were times Justin Gaethje was literally running away, like squirming and running away from Khabib to so that the fight didn't go there. Uh, I also think the leg kicks from Gaethje could be a big part of this. Um, I, I just think his overall fight IQ where it is now combined with. Uh, the accuracy and the power in his striking. And, you know, I know everybody talks about his wrestling. Look, he was a wrestler, but in the UFC, he doesn't wrestle. My question is, can he wrestle good enough to to prevent himself from being, you know, taken down or, or taken positionally? Um, I think he can. I think he can do enough to prevent Charles Oliveira from getting him in a really um, disadvantaged spot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like... Because he wrestled in college, like, I feel like every time Gaethje fights, like, it's, well, you know, he was a wrestler. Well, yeah, but he, that's not what he does. He doesn't wrestle in the UFC. Like, the day that Justin Gaethje starts wrestling in the UFC, like, it's like, huh? That's, <laughs> he's not going to go to his wrestling. Like, where that's valuable for his game plan is is defensively. So uh, I'm betting that he is going to prevent Charles Oliveira from getting uh, good positions on him to where he can potentially get a... a uh, submission, but yeah, I'm, I'm Justin Gaethje for me and I'm actually with you. I think, uh, Justin Gaethje by, uh, either KO or TKO, I think he gets a finish.
1: Yeah. And look, I think the, the Habib fight really helps, uh, Gaethje in this fight because like you said, he was li- doing everything that he could to get away from Habib. You know what his game plan is and literally no one was going to stop it. But I do think that in order for Habib to get, to get a hold of him, He had to do more than he had to do against anybody else. Yeah. Those leg kick, those leg kicks that Gaethje was landing on Habib were vicious, and it kind of seemed like Habib was indestructible because he just kept moving forward. And these, the leg kicks from Gaethje are are hellacious. They're crazy.
0: But you knew when Habib had taken the last one, like he wasn't taking anymore, and he was going to get to Gaethje no matter. Like he was like, "That's it. I'm not taking another one of these. And if he (laughs) knocks me out, he knocks me out. But I am getting to him." (laughs) Yes. And I
1: I think that 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 whole fight is going to help Gaethje in this fight with Oliveira, Um, because I I don't think Oliveira is as relentless. I mean, we've seen flashes of it with with Poirier. Uh, We saw some uh, relentlessness out of Oliveira, but he's not as relentless as Habib is. Um, I think um, Gaethje will be able to stop his wrestling. He's not he's not a strong wrestler uh, like uh, Habib is. I mean, if the way, the way that he got Poirier, he was able to wrap a body lock on Poirier uh, a few different times. If, if Gaethje stays away from the body lock, yeah. I don't really see too much of a way where Olivera is going to be able to get him down. So, um, position is going to matter a lot in this fight. Um, but I do think the leg kicks are going to, are going to add up. I think Gaethje is going to be able to kick him a lot. And then, uh, if Oliveira is still very close to him, uh, Gaethje is going to be able to knock him out. So, uh, I think this is just a, a a tough stylistic matchup for for Oliveira. Um, he has proven me wrong a few times, and he is tough. He's a champion, but uh, I I struggle to see like where Oliveira gets gets Gaethje to where yeah. he wants him to be.
0: I I will say this: if Gaethje is as worried about um, the grappling part of this, and you know that potentially leads to a submission, uh, as he was against Habib, like. Olivera is a significantly better striker than Habib. You know, the one thing that oh, Gaethje yeah. was somewhat able to do in that fight is kind of sell out your striking defense to avoid being taken down because you're not too worried about Habib doing anything to you of substance from that standpoint, whereas Charles Oliveira isn't the greatest striker in the world, but you do have to at least respect it.
1: Yeah, like Habib is literally just like... Kind of slapping at you just so he can get a hold of you. Yes. He's not throwing. Yeah. He's not throwing jabs. It's only for or the or purpose anything.
0: of getting you down.
1: Exactly. That's it. And and we've seen Oliveira is a. I mean, he's a very much improved striker from uh from how he was at, uh when he first got in the UFC. I mean, to be able to stand with Dustin Poirier, even though he got dropped a couple times, to be able to stand with him. I mean, Oliveira landed some pretty good shots. Oliveira knocked out Michael Chandler, so I mean, he's no slouch in that department, but. I mean, of course, we're gonna take Gaethje over Oliveira in a striking match ten times out of ten. Yeah. At least, at least I will. It, I think if 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 Gaethje was the same fighter that he was um, when he first got in the UFC, I think Oliveira would have had more of a chance because Gaethje was just a wild man who is either you get knocked out or I get knocked out. I think now he's very much more labored. He's very much uh, strategic, very coachable. Listens to his listens to uh, Trevor Whitman. So uh, yeah, man. Uh, I think this is a championship version of Justin Gaethje um, that's going to show itself uh, on Saturday night.
0: By the way, I love how like Charles Oliveira, and and we're not doing this obviously, but once again, we've reached this point where I feel like Oliveira has like become so forgotten about as like how good he is. And this kind of like this this happened with Kamaru Usman for a while before he started getting finishes. Like he was winning all these fights, but like he was undervalued because he wasn't finishing fights. And I think the same thing of um, of uh, Volkanovski. Like Volkanovski has been a very underrated champion, and part of that I think was for the same reason. There was a period of time before his last uh, fight where he, he he finished Korean Zombie, where like he's winning all these fights, but it was by decision. And I think when you're not finishing people, there's maybe a hesitation to just come out and and completely say this guy's a... I, I just mean by the general UFC fan population, Charles Oliveira has finished both of his title fights and still he's in, in what we've all said for the last couple of years at the top is the elite division of this sport. And he is still, I feel like massively underrated and underappreciated.
1: I think people still can't get, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely wild, but I think people still, still can't get the, the, um the visuals out of their head of what Charles Olivero used to be. You know, the yeah. guy that would win one, lose one, win two, lose two, or, you know, The guy that was inconsistent so to see him reel off 10 wins in a row it's kind of it's kind of weird because we were used to for years just you see the potential in oliveira you know he's really good with this with this jujitsu but you know it just kind of seemed like there was something that wasn't there that wasn't clicking and you know of course he was jumping from from weight class to weight class trying to trying to figure out what was what was the right weight class for him uh but but now it's kind of just weird that he's just reeled off 10 in a row and now he's a champion yeah and we've seen him lose. Like, we haven't seen Justin Gaethje lose like that. I mean, of course, we saw him lose to Habib, and we've seen him lose at the beginning of his career, like with Poirier. Like, the losses are very few and far between with those guys to where Oliveira, we've seen him lose, like, multiple, multiple times. But we're, we've are we got to get to this point where we acknowledge Charles Oliveira as, as a champion, one, and as one of the best fighters in the world because that's exactly what he is.
0: Yeah. He had lost, before the 10-fight win streak, he had lost three of four, to Anthony Pettis, Ricardo Lamas, and Paul Felder, which again, all those guys deserve a lot of credit for how good they are. Um, since then, ten straight wins, uh, wins over Clay Guida, Jim Miller, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon, but then like the last four, Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier. Yeah. And he finished Kevin Lee, Michael Chandler, and Dustin Poirier. Yeah,
1: and he was on. He should have finished. Uh, Tony. Ferguson, Tony's just but, a psychopath. Uh, Otherwise, Tony would. Have been so, Tony's, yeah. <laughs> Tony's just a psychopath, and I mean that um, as a as a compliment.
0: But,
1: yeah, yeah, in the nicest way possible. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, look he he had just lost three three or four, and now like he's the champion. It's it it goes it, it's it's a testament to how never giving up like really uh, applies to this because. He could have just went back, rode off to the sunset or just kind of uh, accepted what he was at the time. But you can tell he literally went, changed some things, became a better striker. Um, cardio got better, um, really committed to the lightweight division. And now he's the champion. And you you see the championship level that he's at, man. I mean, you don't beat Dustin Poirier like that unless you're a championship level guy. You don't beat Michael Chandler like that unless you're a championship level guy. We didn't know at the time that he was championship level, but you don't know that you don't finish Kevin Lee like that unless you're a, a really high level high level guy. You don't beat Tony Ferguson, who was just uh, who had just won twelve fights in a row, who was just who had just lost to Gaethje. You don't beat him like that unless you're 50, a five, guy, right. so, Yeah. So, like, look, Charles Oliveira is the man. Like, we gotta we've got to start acknowledging him as the guy. And but I will say, if he wins this fight, if if the, if somehow. I'm not saying somehow, but if Charles Oliveira wins this fight in the ways that he's beaten Poirier and beaten Michael Chandler, I'm not going to bet against him again.
0: Yeah, you are. Because he's going to face Islam, and we're both going to pick Islam.
1: Look, I'll, I, if he if he beats Gaethje, I'll be really i have to think about that one. Okay, I'll, I'll you're have saying to think that now. That there, There's 0.0.0% 0.
0: 0. <laughs> 0. chance. That even if Oliveira wins this, that the next time we we call an Oliveira fight, you're picking Oliveira over Islam. Because I'm telling you right now, I know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to beat Gaethje, and at least temporarily we're all going to be like, finally this guy deserves some credit, what a great champion, and then it's going to be Islam, and that fight week will roll around, and it'll be Islam's about to become the champion, and you and I are both going to pick Islam. That's exactly how that's going to go. You're probably right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're probably right, but... I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna want to give Oliveira his flowers, his respect.
0: Well, that's why I wanted to to do this. Yeah, that's why I wanted to have this quick conversation about Oliveira, so we could at least recognize, like, we're both picking Gaichi, but this guy deserves a ton of credit for the run he's been on, the champion that he is, and I think the the legitimate threat that he is, uh, even on Saturday night against a guy that I, you know, just happens to be, um, you know, one of my favorites. So,
1: yeah, man. I I, I surprised you with that pick. You didn't think I was going to go with Gaethje. That's funny.
0: (laughs) But I know exactly who you're going with in an Islam uh, Charles Oliveira fight. So, I
1: don't know, man. Maybe you'll surprise me, but I'm just saying if I had to bet money on
0: it, I'm I'm without hesitation betting on you betting on Islam.
1: I will say this, though. If Gaethje were to beat Oliveira and
0: fight Islam, I mean, that one's a little different. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing there.
1: Yeah. See.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That one's tough. I can't tell you who I'd pick because yeah, I, I legitimately yeah. don't know. But I know with certainty that I'm picking Islam to beat Charles Oliver if that's the fight. So. Jiu-jitsu. And you are too. And you are too. <laughs> Even though you're trying to pretend you're not, I, I appreciate the I appreciate the game you're playing. I don't know, man. You'll
1: just, <laughs> You'll just have to wait and find out, brother. I don't know.
0: Uh, all right, man. Uh, long overdue. Uh, glad we got to do this this week. And, man, Saturday is going to be a blockbuster. I can't wait.
1: Yeah, t- tune in. Uh, and these prelims, we didn't touch much on the prelims, but these prelims are, are, are fire, man. Uh, Randy Brown, Chaos Williams gonna be, is going to be fire. Andre Fialo, who just had a huge knockout, is back. Brandon Royval, Matt Schnell at Flyweight. Yeah. Uh, Ivanov and uh, Rogério de Lima are fighting so tune in from the beginning it's going to be a great night of fights
0: absolutely that is it for us we'll be back next week he's Will Brewer I'm Colby Daniels Uh, happy I don't even know what today is happy whatever day it is you're listening to this